had given the pastor a bit of a heads up. And so the pastor looked at the little boy, eight-year-old boy, and he said to the boy, where is God? And the little boy kind of got his eyes really big, his jaw dropped, but he didn't say anything. So then the pastor thought he'd try another tact, and he used kind of a booming voice to kind of bring an impressive emphasis to the reality that he was trying to convey. And so he kind of almost bellowed as he said, Son, where is God? The boy clenched the sides of the chair arms for a second. Then sweat started to beat around his forehead, and he jumped to his feet, turned and ran out of the office and skedaddled all the way to his house, got inside, went into his bedroom, and slammed the door. His 10-year-old brother heard the door slam, went to see him a couple minutes later, got into the bedroom, and said to his brother, you okay? What's going on? The young boy said, we're in trouble now, dude. God is missing, and they think we did it. Where is God? We think that question sometimes. We say that question sometimes. Out of desperation. There are two kind of ways that this goes. One is we, we encounter a need in our lives. And God is seemingly frustratingly silent. Maybe we feel um, forsaken. Maybe there is uncharted territory ahead of us and we wonder, God, where are you? Because we need you. But there's another part to the question and that could be also we wonder, well, where, God, where is God? But also where he is not. Because there are times when in truth we like to or we want to evade God. We have our own will. We make our own choices. We want to sometimes do things our own way. And so if we can just locate where he is, then maybe we can evade him in what we do or where we go. Where is God? There is this system we have in our very beings called the vagus nervous system. And when times are difficult or we're challenged or we're conflicted, the sympathetic nervous system is what gets triggered and it is what you might know as the fight or flight response. When something is very disorienting for us. And there are times when we want to just run away, get away, either from God or because God is seemingly absent. Where is God and where is he not? This question and this reality of human experience is one that has a history that goes back thousands of years. In fact, David, King David, as the Bible says, a man after God's own heart worked through this very question 
many times, and he even wrote about it in Psalm 139. Psalm 139, as we continue in our series here, King David, ordained by God, wondered this question out loud. In verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? Your presence, that Hebrew word here actually means uh, God's uh, face, if you will. Where can I go where I won't be seen? Where can I go where you will not be? It's not just a hypothetical for David either. There were times when he was in desperate need of God. He was at times fleeing for his life, first from Saul, King Saul, who wanted to kill him. He even had to flee from his own son, Absalom. There were times when it was really difficult and David needed to know that God was with him. But there are other times also when David wanted to, would rather evade God and his presence because there were times when David was deceitful, lustful, and disloyal. So he was experiencing and expressing this question out loud and we continue in verse 8. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, he says. And as he's writing this, he is using both literal and poetic language. Poetic language and metaphor. If I go to the highest heavens, if I go north, as far north as I can go, or if I make my bed in Shoal, if I go, that, that was known as the underworld, if I go south as far as I can go. It's also a, a, a resembling and symbolic of anxiety. When you're just so heightened, everything is heightened, and you're anxious about the future, or depression, when you're concerned about the past, and you just want to stay in your bed. And he also uses this other language to connote the east, the winds of the morning in the east, or the extremities of the sea in the west. So whether I go north or south, or whether I go east or west, literally and physically, or even emotionally and mentally, in all of those cases, God is there because God is everywhere present. And I mean real presence. Not merely that God has access to all locations like um, an impressive custodian, but that he is very present in all places. There's something we need to know as David is writing this psalm. He's conveying the essence of who God is. And essence is kind of a difficult thing to understand. And maybe it's helpful to use a math equation. Essence equals being, the materiality, the substance, plus attributes. 
And there are particular attributes that distinguish God, the Holy Spirit, and God, the Trinity. There are particular attributes that distinguish God from any other being. And this is one of them, that he is present everywhere. In theological terms, that word is omnipresent. Last time when we were in Psalm 139, the language was omniscient or all-knowing, another attribute. And now we are uh, talking about being everywhere present or omnipresent. And that distinguishes God from any other being. He alone is present everywhere. It's even in his name at times he introduces himself as I am. When he is giving the disciples a parting instruction, he says in Matthew 28, 20, and I will be with you even to the end of the age. When he was born, they gave him the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That is the promise of his presence. And you might think, well, how, you know, intellectually, cerebrally, how do I ascend to that grand a concept? Well, perhaps we could illustrate it by considering the sun. The sun has a substance. It is an orb. But there are particular attributes that distinguish the sun from any other. And what is really phenomenal is that the light of the sun seems to be everywhere. You can go on a hike and be in the middle of the woods and the sun seems to get there too by its light. In Manitoba, in PEI, in BC. But God's presence is a particular kind of presence. It's a special kind of presence. We read in verse 10, David says, Even there, your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. He is personal, individual, and corporate. Individual as in guiding and leading each person, but also the church, the group, the gathered group. He is personal and he is imminent. That means that he is present and active in this project we call life. And what he is particularly present and doing is leading and guiding the consummate trail guide. Later, Jesus would talk about the Holy Spirit as being the Holy Spirit would be the guide, the helper to lead and guide us. And then uh, David uses this language, righteous right hand will uphold us. The righteous right hand, this metaphoric language again. And every time we hear righteous right hand or right hand of God, that is the righteous aspect, the good that he is going to do. Isaiah said this in Isaiah 41.10. He said, do not fear for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you for I am your God. 
I will help you. I will strengthen you. Surely, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That means he will secure and support you in the journey that you and we are on. Through that, as the Psalm 23 would say, in a word, his presence is one of caring. And that is the prospect of his presence. That is the potential of his presence to care. But then you might say, as David wondered, well, what could impede God's caring presence? What could restrict God's caring presence? Verse 11 and 12. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night, Even the darkness is not dark to you. The light is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. Again, yes, literally dark and light, sure, but also darkness as in mental health, darkness of depression, darkness of anxiety, darkness of suffering through that, the darkness of broken relationships, the darkness of secrets that we keep or others keep or I keep or you keep, darkness of evil and wickedness, all of that. Lord, could that possibly impede or restrict your caring presence with us? And David says, no, nothing can impede God's caring presence with us. God is present. He is caring and present. A caring presence divine. With all people. And Paul even gets more specific when he writes in Romans 8. Towards the end 37 to 39. And he says this. Particularly about followers of Jesus. Even in the midst of a struggle. Even in the midst of a difficult trial or trail that you are on. He says this of followers of Jesus. He says I am convinced. That neither death nor life. Nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things future, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's presence is perfect. It is perfect and precisely what We need. And it helps as we do this to reorient ourselves. Especially when we are feeling disoriented. I want to illustrate this this morning. Knowing that there would be some children. We blame it on the kids, but actually the adults are the ones that find most of these things interesting. So I I try and do things to capture the interest of children, but I know we all kind of benefit from that. I'm going to make a bit of room here. Our lives. Our lives. 
And what David wondered is, well, what about all my sin? What about the darkness that's all around us? What about the secrets that I keep? How could God possibly? Doesn't that restrict or impede his ability to be present with us? But what David explained is that God is present. And for God, it's clear as day. No, that doesn't impede his ability to be present with us. For God, it's as clear as day. But how is that possible? Because God is unique and distinguished from anyone else because all of that has no real bearing on God. He is not depressed. He is not anxious. Brothers and sisters, he has no secrets. That is why he reveals himself in the body and person of Jesus Christ. He is perfect and holy. <sighs> and he is with us. God is the great overcomer. God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if that were not enough, the Father and the Son said, we will send you the Holy Spirit so that we will be with you to the end of the age. So you and I have assurance. We can be reassured. All of us are going through trials in our lives at one point or another. The journeys that we are on. There are stories galore in this room. And we may not have all the answers in the present life, but one thing you can be assured of is that you are not abandoned. No matter the circumstance, we are never alone. God's presence, the creator of the universe, is present with us and you. And his presence demonstrates and gives value and purpose to each of you and to every single person because he values and wants and desires to give person to all. His presence gives and demonstrates that value and purpose. So this morning, brothers and sisters, I want you to remember and recall. And sometimes you will need to do that in an unswerving manner. That Jesus is with me. 
that God is with you. That's the truth. That is the reality. And there will be times as carved on our communion table. Do this in remembrance of me. Recall this to mind. And then, brothers and sisters, attend to his presence. Whether you are on a walk, a bike ride, whether you are in a coffee shop or in your garden, whether you are at work, attend to the very real presence of God who is with you there. Well, you may say, how can I do that? Well, if somebody is with you in the same room, there are times when it would make sense for you to talk to that person or to listen to that person. If the two of us are in a room and you don't listen to me or talk to me or acknowledge my presence, I would begin to feel like perhaps you're ignoring me. So we attend to the real presence of God who is with us. And that means that we can say what we want to say to Him. David has shown us that. We can express ourselves openly to God. And we can also listen to Him. That means we can ask questions and believe that the Holy Spirit will speak to us. But friends, I want to tell you something else. If the reality is that God is with us, then perhaps that needs to shape and inform the way we pray. When we say, God, be with me, or God, be with, well, He already is. So maybe that changes the way we pray. God, make your presence known. Make your presence felt. May the person, may that person I care about know and be open and receptive to your presence because you're not abandoned and they're not abandoned. We're not ever alone and they're not ever alone. Lord, I know you're present. Make your presence known in such a way that they respond. And then finally, church, God is present everywhere. And the church general, and this church-specific Westview, is meant to be a physical representation of His presence. To extend and amplify His presence here in our community and as we go. I invite the music team to come forward. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are never alone. We thank you that the ones we care about are never alone. We pray, Lord, that your presence would be felt and that your will would be done in such a way that we will acknowledge and attend to your presence that we will resemble, as a church, we will resemble your presence. And then, Lord, for that person or persons that are on our mind, that you have laid on our minds, even in this moment, Holy Spirit, your will be done in their lives to lead them and guide them and draw them. And as Barry prayed, we pray that you would do battle in the spiritual realm and fend off the attacks of the enemy, fend off the lies, and bring them to you. This morning, we pray in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Let's stand together in the presence of our Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Be still for the presence of the Lord, the Holy One is here. Come. 